BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here looking in the mirror. I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Ah, Thank you very much. Have a great day. Alex Kirshner, on this thankful week, uh, I forgot to thank Les last week in the midweek show. So uh, thank you, Les. Let us do the show. 30 minutes on the clock or what are we going to do here? Yeah, 30 minutes on the clock. Are you ready to start it in, I don't know, a couple seconds right now? Yeah, let's roll in three two, one. 30 minutes on the clock. Notre Dame, North Carolina. Notre Dame, 31. North Carolina, 17. Alex, uh, this was a marriage of Protestantism and Catholicism, and I think we need to talk about someone who is intimately familiar with those two things. Uh, our, our correspondent for the week, our guest for the week, Stephen Godfrey, welcome to the show. It me, a redneck who married a papist. These are extremely niche jokes in the South, but we'll go with it. I, as a, as a northerner, am not qualified to say whether that was uh, a good joke or not, but it, it works for me. Uh, Has he, have you, uh, I will not bog us down by asking Godfrey if he's been to church this week. No. Um, I've been, okay. Dude, oh man, 2020, I haven't had to go to mass once. It's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame wins this game. Uh, this is the, the Catholics beating the Protestants 31-17. This had the look of a track meet on Friday uh, in mm-hmm. the first quarter. Seemed like it was going to be 45-42 and maybe even like UNC would win. Then Notre Dame's defense just absolutely took over the game. Uh, we have talked a little bit before on this show about the concept of success rate, which is basically a stat that just measures are you staying on schedule? Are you getting... Uh, 50% of the available of the necessary yards to align to gain on first down, then 70% on second, and 100% on third or fourth. In the first quarter of this game, North Carolina's offense, by this metric, was its typical elite offense. Notre Dame's was actually even better by success rate, but uh, North Carolina was at 47%, which is a top 10 national rate over the course of the year, and is also about where they are. Then the second quarter happened. They fell to 27%, then to 18 then to 14 That is sub-UMass territory. Basically, North Carolina became the worst offense in the entire country around the middle of the second quarter in this game. This was despite Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame's excellent safety, getting tossed for targeting in the second quarter. I don't know what Clark Lee, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, changed, but whatever it was, it was really good because they absolutely took over this game uh, and just made North Carolina into a pumpkin uh, a bit on success rate first of all that's not a nerd stat that's how coaches who chart 
games and you know self scout or whatever. That's how they break down their offenses and defenses. We just Bill just put a name on it and called success rate. As far as what Notre Dame changed, it's not a ton. I mean, they started wearing North Carolina's ass out up front. I think the clearest thing that you can see is if you watch those first, I guess, three North Carolina possessions and then you watch the rest of the game, watch the linebackers. Because Notre Dame started out, their linebackers were sort of flat foot waiting to react, waiting to see what was going on. As the game went on, you could tell Clark Lee started giving those linebackers and the front in general, but the linebackers, a green light. I mean, there are some snaps where those linebackers are like rolling into the balls of their feet and trying to sort of time the snap and almost falling over if if sort of they mistime the snap. It's it's really little, but go look at it. And also in the beginning of the game, I think North Carolina or uh, Notre Dame was worried potentially about Sam Howe. Uh, escaping the pocket and beating them out of the pocket. There's not a, those defensive tackles weren't necessarily getting upfield in the beginning of the game, and then they started doing some stunts and some twists and some games. They started doing what was necessary to get back in the game. Man, Notre Dame is a good football yeah. team. Good team. Full stop. Yeah, I, I thought this was a, pretty much exactly where I thought it would be, which is that Notre Dame was maybe three or four drives better. Um, I thought both defensive coordinators did a really good job adjusting early. And I think then it was just really a difference of the fact that I felt like there was no counterpunch from Phil Longo's offense, Richard, and that that like once they were put in in, in uncomfortable spots, that was kind of it. Um, I know Notre Dame got a couple drive extensions off of penalties, but this is kind of Alex. This is kind of leading me. This was a really good bridge game for those of us who didn't want to accept Notre Dame as viable. And I really do think, and this is not a meme or a joke, that conference membership is changing their resume uh, just little by little. So, Alex, before the show, you were asking me about 2018 Notre Dame, right? I was. If you go and look at 2018 Notre Dame schedule, there are resume wins defined by sort of like large brands or beating winning teams like Michigan or Stanford or USC. You know what I don't see, even as recently as 2018? is applying Notre Dame in different ways to really innovative, aggressive offenses with elite talent. And that, when you combine with, when you when you combine Clemson and North Carolina in a three-game grouping like we have, what we're seeing out of Notre Dame is not your usual mid and late season, just kind of march through this really boutique-specific independent schedule. You're seeing like life week in, week out in a conference that has high-end blue-chip talent, and you're seeing Notre Dame respond and, and adjust on both offense and defense because North Carolina is not a great team. They are a very good team with top-end talent. And Richard, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but like from an uninformed perspective, that Notre Dame that I watched did not seem as slow or as sort of married to their ways as I've seen other Notre Dame teams. They looked versatile and athletic. Yeah, this is not a Notre Dame team that is just undefeated. There's like 2018, okay, they're sort of squeaking out games or whatever you want to call it. This is not just winning games. This is passing tests. You win that ugly-ass slobber knocker against Louisville earlier in the the season. Uh, Obviously, you beat Clemson. Now, okay, whatever, Trevor didn't play. You beat one of the best three teams in the country at home in overtime. Pass a test. Boston College, a game upset-minded team uh, that can punch you, win. North Carolina. That BC win is going to look better at the end of the year. It's going going to continue to look better. This is how they've been winning games. They have been passing tests. I mean, there's no other way to put it. 
Uh, I cannot wait for the rematch in the ACC championship game against Clemson. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think, pr- pr- primarily with, and, and I, Alex is going to get to Ian Book, but Ian Book is doing this because the structure around him is allowing him to do Now, the flip thing that he did, like he's there's some Ian Book that's still in there. There's some previous three years Ian Book that is still in there. But they have given him a, on offense a platform for success, and he's excelling. He is. He has a much steadier vibe to me this year than he did either of the last two years. He felt like a guy who was just there and not messing anything up in 2018 when they were on that run to the playoff that ended in a blowout against Clemson. This year, he feels like a real positive asset in a different way for Notre Dame. Uh, And yeah, you're going to see them in the playoff, folks, uh, because they are not going to lose to Syracuse or Wake Forest. Uh, And unless they get absolutely blown out of the water by Clemson in the ACC championship game, Notre Dame's going to be in the playoff before they even take the field in that game. And it's going to be fair. It's it's the way it is, uh, whether we like it or not. Well, I mean, if they lose, to, uh, I don't want to bog this down to playoff talk, but no. we'll do the playoff talk in the midweek. I mean, if they lose to Notre Dame, I think the ACC championship is something of a play-in game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but I think there's we have to start preparing for the ACC to have two teams in the college football playoff. And uh, I, I and if that happens, Notre Dame is in on Notre Dame is in beyond. They're just twelve and zero, yeah. which is what twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean, twenty eighteen was like they're twelve and zero. You can't really leave yeah. them out. This is earned it. Yeah, they earned it. Uh, the team that they are going to play in that game is going to be Clemson. Clemson won a lot to a little against Pitt. Uh, wow, Clemson <laughs> was pissed last week, and they played like a team that was pissed. Uh, Richard, you talk about Trevor Lawrence in a sec. I just want to say that Pitt has lost all of the magic that once made it great and fun. Pat Narduzzi is not doing a good job. He made an uninspired offensive coordinator hire and failed UMass head coach Mark Whipple, uh, and they just had nothing in the bag that was going to help them in this game. You remember when they beat Clemson in 2016? It was because Matt Canada had a good plan and came up with some stuff. that They absolutely shovel-optioned Clemson to death in that game. In this game, Pitt's, Pitt's creative play was a, a flea flicker, which was intercepted. And then Clemson ran a flea flicker on them for a touchdown, <laughs> like two plays later. Uh, they're just, they just aren't, they aren't smart enough like they used to be. Um, so don't feel good about Pitt. I think, this is, I think 2021 is probably it uh, for Pat Narduzzi, unless something drastically changes. But the campfire talk just around uh, informed Pitt fans and media is that they can't really afford to fire him at this time. So that's tough. No. Yeah, I've not heard anything on the front about his like his buyout is still prohibitive by their standards. So I unless they were to lose out plus something intangible, mm-hmm. I think Richard, he's uh, there Trevor actually. Lawrence. You think he's a good player? I, like you just take this guy for granted. And every like all the draft my draft friends are all like this is the best quarterback since Andrew Luck. The best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck was the best quarterback prospect in maybe ever prospect prospect uh and we'll when we get to draft stuff we'll talk about the difference between prospect and good player this guy is so good so good he has so far in his career he has sort of done the lebron which is the weight of every expectation possible on his shoulders at age 16 i remember talking to bud when Trevor Lawrence was a uh, co- or was a high school junior, and Bud told me that there are some teams that Trevor could suit up at age 16 and start. This guy is so good and so naturally gifted, 
And we talk about passing, has passed every test with flying colors. Do not take for granted that you were able to watch Trevor Lawrence play college football because it is special. It has been special. And whether they win two games in January or not, it will be special in my opinion for a very, very long time. I, I just, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. He's amazing. Uh, elsewhere in this conference, a team that is, well, a couple teams that aren't amazing, but one in particular, uh, NC State beats Syracuse 36-29. That's on the rundown because did you guys see how this game ended? Holy crap. Yeah, well, I Syracuse I, I mean, Syracuse I saw it, but I did ball, not see it live. But the problem well, was hold on. Talk about the third down first. You got to talk about the third Well, down the third first. down was a mess and left the clock running and then moving so, backwards, I believe. they were So they Syracuse, were down seven and they were near yes. NC State's end zone. They had a calamity yes. of a third down play, Richard, didn't they? The quarterback is like ru- like circuitously running like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. The play has gone to hell, et cetera, et cetera. There's, I believe, two receivers who are in the end zone. Uh, quarterback gets sacked. The two receivers got to run back. It's a fire drill situation, total fire drill. On the broadcast, the color analyst is like, they can't spike the ball because it's fourth down. And then Syracuse proceeds to spike the ball on fourth down. You can hear audibly one of the parabolic field mics goes, oh, shit. And then I think you can also hear, I don't know what he was doing or something to that effect. It was rough. Godfrey, it was just rough. Godfrey, are you hearing anything about that job? They are one and nine and exceptionally terrible, although I'm not sure that it's time for them to really do anything about it. Um, I, I think much like Pitt, they're not exactly the same, but I do think there's a nice COVID 2020 ex- uh, exceptions, the wrong word understanding. How's that? That's feeding into some of these schools because flat out look y'all South Carolina screwed up the perception. It is financially prohibitive to do this right now. And, and then there are not a lot of schools that get a fat sec TV check. There's only 14 of them that do. So again, Kick this one to 21 is ba- as bad as uh, it Wild ha- The athletic director, Wildhack, uh, has already given Dino Babers the air quotes vote of confidence. He got it in like early sept- or mid-September. Um, this is sort of what we talked about where if, if you're borderline, I don't necessarily think it's going to be the pink slip. So, okay. Uh, Boston College 34, now- Louisville 27. I can add a transition here if you would like, Richard. Talking about coaches that not uh, are are not necessarily maybe going to work out. Scott Satterfield has had a ton of heat around him with the South Carolina job. There have been back and forth between him and Louisville about like his future and his position there. Richard, how bad do they look? Because this dude is bargaining with like a disappearing chip stack, and now if Virginia Tech opens, that he's that, that his name will be wedged in there. I have to be careful with my pronouns about who does what. Um, Every time I look over at Louisville, I'm confused as to why I see so much Scott Satterfield talk in the yeah, open Yeah, they did not take the step forward. It's been a mess, myriad reasons. Uh, obviously, we saw the Miami game where it's just structurally deficient on one side of the field. Uh, they have not – they never found a real way to replace Mekhi Becton, which, of course, easier said than done because he's insane. Um, the offensive line hasn't worked. They now had their one of their best players opted out. Uh, did Tutu Atwell get hurt? Uh, or something. He has not been around in his usual capacity. For a lot of reasons, it it hasn't clicked. The goodwill sort of didn't continue on the trend line go up. 
Uh, Louisville had to fire, uh, lay off, furlough a lot of people right before the season started, to what I understand. Um, So the financial situation in that athletic department is in flux. So this was not the, in my opinion, this was not the classic Satterfield flirts and Satterfield gets mega raise. I don't think that's no, the it's not. Um, I think no. maybe he gets some more for the assistant pool. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, uh, moving on to the SEC. Iron Bowl, Alabama forty-two, Auburn thirteen. Oy. Over the week on this podcast, I was told to trust Auburn Devil Magic and that the Iron Bowl was going to be squirrely, etc., etc. I don't think I said and exactly I said, that. I don't think that's what Alabama, I said. Alabama, and I said Alabama was going to blow them the fuck out. I don't think that's, that's what, what I said. Let's make a point of order. I did think Auburn, and this was foolish, could cover by staying on the field with a good running game. But yes, uh, they, didn't no, even, no, no. they didn't even cover. Uh, I field tested this take last week on here, and I'm going to say it again. I think this is the best rounded team that Saban has had at Alabama. The defense... You know, the, the one that we saw against Ole Miss, for instance, earlier this year, is just a lot better. They are finding DBs in the couch cushions. I mean, not really in the couch cushions. They're all four and five star guys. Well, um, I don't I, I think it's I think it's deeper than that, Alex. I think those DBs are there were some issues in communication, particularly that Ole Miss exploited. Um, there's just guys not lined up in the right place over and over and over again uh, against Georgia. They had some struggles uh, with the run fits in the first half. Um at halftime of the Georgia game, this Alabama defense flipped a switch, and they have not turned it off yet. They are absolutely – and I don't care that it was Tennessee and Mississippi State and whatever. They are playing really well. Now, the calculus will be, can they hold uh, Can they hold Florida? Can they hold Clemson? Can they hold Ohio State under, like, 30? Yeah, I'm going to be curious to see that. Uh, is Devontae Smith the best Bama receiver ever? He might be. Like, pretty squarely. I don't know. No. He's, they don't do that. All right, fine. Don't do that. No. Because they keep no. coming. They, right. keep they have a new one coming. every year. But this guy is incredible. He he has yeah, never, he has never made a mistake in his career. Jalen Waddell is still technically on this roster. True. He is still on this roster. In this game, anyway, seven catches on seven targets for 171 and however many touchdowns he had. Uh, Sark also, Richard, kind of like Steve Sarkeesian was in charge nominally on game day for them this week because Nick Saban – uh, tested positive, and it seemed like he was a little squirrely himself, and kind of had Alabama up to some tricks. I Godfrey, I, I'll swing to you in a second, but I like Godfrey. Or, uh, sorry, Sarkeesian is has been play calling his ass off all season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also think that this is sort of a testament to, and I wonder if for a second Nick sat back on Saturday night and marveled at what he built, because. In, I guess, the most narrative game of their season, save the Georgia game, they didn't need him. And uh, also, God bless Pete Golding. Because they said Pete Golding before the game was like, yeah, I don't have this guy yelling on my ear talking about I, I need to play less man coverage. Godfrey? Um, I think it was a really good opportunity for Sark in a lot of circles to, sh- to, to create it as an audition piece. Now, the, how people receive that across the industry will vary because obviously this is a Nick Saban authored experience and this is just a very 2020 circumstance that he wasn't on the field. However, this was the first time Steve Sarkeesian was a head coach in a long, long time in a period in which he is being rumored for jobs like South Carolina. So it was fortuitous at best. I will say this, Alex, probably the reason why 
the view on Smith and others is skewed is because this Alabama program now better understands how to utilize a full skill set of playmakers, period. To go back, even as recently, like, I think Ridley, that era kind of broke, broke it open. Again, I, in a very reductive way, define Alabama as post and pre Lane yes. Kiffin because there was such a tra- there was such a transformative. It wasn't just about offensive play calling or schematics or talent. It was just about the way that they looked and evaluated personnel, and I think it modernized them, and it's the reason why they've had this second life. So that's probably why you feel that way. However, the answer will always be. Quinteris, mm-hmm. of course. Jones. Godfrey, thank you for that Lane Kiffin transition. Tremendous. Ole Miss 31, Mississippi You're State welcome. 24. Uh, State again played with less than 50 scholarship players uh, and again fought pretty hard but lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so Godfrey, like, did everyone do enough here? You know, Mississippi State covered, right? Did everyone do enough in this game, Kiffin, Leach, to not upset the status quo in any material way in that state right now? Yeah, it was it was the antithesis of what everyone outside of Mississippi wanted. What they wanted was pure chaos and end zone pissing and all yeah, this kind I'm of stuff. I and, what and, I was and actual, yeah, right, physical acrimony and all this kind of stuff. It was the antithesis of all those things. Lane Kiffin said after the game that he was like, you know, I kind of understood it, and then I saw our kids celebrating like it was their Super Bowl. So he actually kind of slighted his own team's players for the importance that they had put on this game because of the psychology of the last couple years. I think that's where the Egg Bowl's at, where you have two individuals who are painfully outside of this this nonsense, and they don't care. I think that was reflected on the field more than anything else. Now, in football terms, man, we got to dedicate some offseason time, Richard, to you explaining to me why Lane Kiffin's pure aggression doesn't have an Achilles heel, because three trips inside the 10 where they came away with nothing could have easily been the nine points that didn't put them so perilously close to losing this game late. They are all or nothing on this offense. It's fun to watch, but, I mean, there were Ole Miss fans just absolutely losing their minds at times last night. Uh, The other thing I will say is this. um, Consider everything about 2020, and I'm really cautious when I compliment a Mike Leach team for all of the the many, many (laughs) off-field reasons. Low personnel numbers, and and let me tell you something. That Will Rogers kid who went to my rival high school here in, in Jackson, he can bang, dude. It is he is going to be really good in with what they want him to do and what he's capable of. They are going to be an exciting, good football team. I'm not saying they won't be a Mike Leach team, but I'm saying kind of throw this out. And I think most state fans have. This is going to be an interesting. I, game to watch. We sort of talked about the stages of Mike Leach or whatever. It they have been showing multiple signs of life in the last few weeks with Will Rogers. Maybe they picked the wrong quarterback in the offseason. Uh, I, I cannot wait to really autopsy this entire season. He is getting comfortable, repping with the ones in practice, all that sort of stuff that you have to have with the air raid. Coming on. Uh, oh, Ole Miss blitz last night, Richard. That's another thing I want you to take a look at. Periodically would send more than four. And uh, mixed mix results. They relied on Rodgers' young decision-making. But I was, I was like aghast when they would blitz because of like how that's pretty much a common sense thing that you don't do against this against that's this what offense. Texas A&M 20 LSU 7. This shit was painful. LSU's oh, yeah. defense came to play. The LSU defense did come to play. I thought they were okay against the run. Uh, Kellen Mond cannot I, I don't think 
Kellen Mond and Texas A&M will be exposed through the balance of the season. I don't think it's going to come. I don't think the opportunity is going to come. But I do not think that guy can shoulder the load for a couple reasons. Mm -mm. God, I wish Florida could play this team again. Anyway, um, no reason at all. Uh, LSU, the quarterback situation is very different from what it was in 2013. Differently bad from what it was in 2013. That was they didn't have a quarterback. This They clearly have a guy with arm talent. And he's just not ready yet. And I don't know if he's going to be ready, but he is clearly not ready yet. I think that I'll this, go ahead, was, um, this was maybe the worst football game I've seen this year. Um, I couldn't help but think about it being the inverse because the last regular season game that I went to as a reporter was this game last year in Baton Rouge, as it was sort of like the crowning achievement for LSU's clean season before they went to the the SEC championship in the playoff, um, this was almost a total inverse, and it's very scary, and, and and maybe it's incorrect to create giant narrative pieces off of what's going on, but this is... Um we are now we are now sort of crossing a Rubicon and talking about LSU as has as have you know, you know they suffered some losses. This is a personnel issue. This is a coaching transition. We are now seeing something that bleeds into systemic territory, and I want to be very careful about how we tread moving forward. But I'm going to say this: they need to win. A, they need to win one more game this year. They might not. I am really going to be curious to see who plays quarterback for this team next year because I see at least four options. Uh, Miles Brennan, I don't know his health status. I don't know if he'll be back. Is it TJ Finley? Is it the other kid, Max Johnson? Or or with these liberalized transfer rules that we're about to have, uh, and obviously LSU has gone to this yeah. well with great success in the recent past, is it someone who's not even in the program right now? No idea. Also, no idea. Go Alex, my, my, my early bet for 21 LSU as Ed Orgeron, I can't believe I'm saying this, tries to right his ship and his tenure. This is insane. They won a title 11 months ago is going to be defined by people who are not currently in the Baton Rouge area. I'll put Indeed. it that way. Uh, Missouri beat Vanderbilt. Score doesn't matter. But the announcement being made over the public address system number 32, Sarah Fuller set to kick off for the Commodores. And here she goes, and here's the kick. It is kicked and s- squibbed down and recovered at the 35-yard line. And there it is, college football history. Vanderbilt's Sarah Fuller becomes the first female to play in a Southeastern Conference or a Power 5 Conference game. Yeah, uh, the score really doesn't matter, uh, but what did matter is that Sarah Fuller became the first woman to ever appear in a Power 5 football game. Uh, Fuller is a goalkeeper for Vandy's uh, women's soccer team. Previously, only two women had played in FBS at all, Katie Knight at New Mexico and April Goss at Kent State. Uh, It had certainly never happened anywhere near uh, the stage of a Power 5 or an SEC game. As Joe Fisher of the Vanderbilt IMG Sports Network uh, sort of explained, and you sort of heard the the, the crowd noise behind it, uh, (laughs) standing ovation. I mean, it was... In a game that was pretty terrible, uh, it, I watched literally. I literally watched this entire game for this. Um, it became very clear that Vanderbilt's offense was not going to be able to get her into field goal range. Um, it was rough, and then it became very apparent that um, that the best chance she was going to get to get in this game was the kickoff. Yeah, I asked on Twitter aloud during this game, could someone, like, I was like, I could pay for a service that would just ping me when it's getting close for time to her to play so I don't have to watch the rest of this game. Thank you to whoever actually created the Twitter account that did that during this game. Uh, Her squib uh, to start the second half was perfectly executed. Uh, Derek Mason talked about this after the game. There were some people on Twitter who I think were projecting to make a 
fairly misogynist, extremely misogynist point um, about how women can't kick or something, who saw this kick and said, wow, what a failure. No, they had her squib the ball to right about the other team's 35-yard line, hoping, you know, maybe you'd get a mortar bounce that would lead to a fumble uh, and that would flip the field and, you know, not be a mess when you have a kicker who you just brought on to play for your football team that day. Uh, really nicely done. Derek Mason uh, made made clear that was the plan. Ron Rivera, who has a lot of experience as a special teamer uh, and has run good special teams in the, NFL, in the NFL, thought it was a perfectly executed mortar kick. It was a great show. Uh only only one play, but absolutely made it count. And given Vanderbilt's execution in other phases of the game, probably a top five percent uh, execution of any Vanderbilt play all day. So uh, congratulations to her on on multiple levels. Yeah, uh, I I don't want to spend a ton of time on internet trolls. You could fuck off if you didn't think that she did her job. She came in and she did her job. Full stop. Godfrey. I mean, she's yeah. I I I don't want to say we're making too big a deal about this about the the new the noteworthiness of it, but this I just didn't engage the discourse. Thought it was cool. Talked to some people about it, and, and that's how I encourage people to to appreciate and experience these kind of transcendent moments. Just don't worry about the discourse because I promise y'all, it's the the moment and the news of it is bigger than the discourse ever can be. Exactly. Uh, all right. Brief break. Brief timeout for podcast business. Indeed, podcast business. Uh, home Field Apparel is your home for premium and comfortable collegiate apparel uh, with a great vintage collection that is growing basically all the time. Uh, we have a promo code for this podcast with Home Field right now, BFSZD, uh, for 30% off your purchase. Uh, and it's a great way to support this podcast. It is good through Monday, Cyber Monday, that is uh, as in the day after this podcast comes out. And our, our metrics tell us most of you will be listening to this over the next two days. So uh, a great opportunity for you to put in an order uh, sooner than later so that it will be here by the holidays. I actually just put one in myself. I got Auburn and SMU crewnecks and Pitt and North Dakota State tees. Probably the first Jew to ever buy an SMU crewneck if I were putting if I were putting a guess to that. Uh, no, yeah, sir, you are please. not. Uh, I'll tell you that. Is Arthur Miller Jewish? Oh, no, sir, you are not. Disappointing. You a little bit about SMU's, uh, SMU's uh, student body. Damn. Hang on. I'm checking to see if Arthur Miller is Jewish. Anyway, Ghostangs. Yeah, buddy, you're, you're SOL on that well, one. Sorry, dude. not to be on the ground floor, but Ghostangs, uh, Pony Up. Ghost I, po- po- pony, pony Up would be the thing that we would actually say, but, you know, I, I can make up a new cheer for them right now myself. They didn't Pony Up on Saturday. We'll they, get to it. We will get to that. Uh, BFSZD at homefieldapparel.com. BFSZD gets you 30% off and, again, shows our immense, immense, immense clout in the marketplace as a podcast. And that code is good through Cyber Monday. So hope you're listening to this podcast before Monday at uh, 11.59. Uh, okay, three-minute drill, uh, three minutes on the clock. We'll run into stoppage time because that's just how we, just how we roll. Do. Iowa State 23, Texas 20 on Black Friday. Uh, Alex told you about this a couple weeks ago. Iowa State's going to the Big Ten uh, – Jesus, Big 12 championship game. Yes, they are. They are good. Uh, this I think that they have been ticketed for this game pretty much all year. Uh you know, we'll talk about Texas quickly in a sec, and we'll keep it quick because they don't deserve too much of our time. Uh, but Godfrey, like Iowa State, looks to me to just be extremely, ex- not only extremely solid, which they've been for a few years under Matt Campbell, but they are talented mm-hmm. now in a way that they weren't. Like it's not really a little yes. engine that could for me anymore. Right. Yeah. So without having the knowledge or the expertise of Richard or other football coaches, what I strive to do is try and get really sort of like instantly digestible narratives on teams that are 
attempting to transition up. So you've heard me talk about West Virginia at times, sort of muddying things up or bringing things down, simplifying, and then kind of like jabbing you to death. That's how Iowa State started. They played really well fundamentally, and they tried to close these deficit gaps in talent. They are whatever that next iteration is up because they have recruited better and developed better. I don't know if well is the right word because it is Iowa State, and that's incredibly hard. I would just like to thank you, though, Alex, for making me set this narrative and not talk about just the Texas deficiencies, which were like, even in our pre-show, we were all tempted to sort of paint this as, as, as yet another Texas chapter of ineptitude, step back and recognize that Iowa state is playing for the big 12 championship. And these are the moments in which we understand why the sport is so wonderful and unique. So we have to, if this was the sec and Kentucky had just gotten past Florida and Georgia to go to the sec championship. And everyone was talking about why Florida and Georgia screw it up. I would be, I would be Mm -hmm. so angry So we have to stop ourselves, and we'll just talk about Texas in a second anyway, but recognize what Iowa State has done here. It is not circumstantial to 2020. This has been a long time coming. All right, so we sometimes on this show do 20 seconds on Kansas. Let's do (laughs) 25 seconds on Texas because they don't deserve deserve that much more, and I don't want to talk about them. We we can talk about them more another time. Are they going to move on from this guy, or should they? No, not right now. No, they are not right now. I, I, we can we can do that later in the week and elaborate on that nonsense. Richard, they look to me like a team that doesn't know they're not good at any one thing and that they just sort of try and plot along. Should they have not at least identified, hey, we're, we're, we're good at this or we're better at this. Let's lean on this to get out of a season. They just, they don't even have a sense that's, of urgency. That's the thing where I'm like, what is it that Texas sort of can hang its hat on? I, I, he just hasn't found it. And they definitely haven't found it this year. Um, I think a thing in his favor, so to speak, is that all of these games are one-score games. I don't know if in his favor, Tom Herman's favor is the way to put that. But all of these games are one-score games. Now, you can talk about why they're one-score games. But, you know, you can sort of optimistically say the ball bounces the other way or the coin flips the other way. And they win a lot of these games. I mean, if they convert that fourth down in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter... It's a different game. Yeah, they win. It's just yeah, but they all. But Richard, they also they have an inability to like to, to just command things and not play with their food. I mean, they do this. They do this twice a year under Herman. They do. Uh, we are now into stoppage time. That's fine. We say this is a thirty-ish minute rundown, and that could sometimes mean forty. Uh, elsewhere in the Big Twelve, <laughs> Oklahoma State fifty, Texas Tech forty-four. Nature is healing. Nice to have some normalcy. Uh, and Oklahoma State and Texas Tech to both be uh, the way that they have long been as opposed to the way that they are now. Uh, in the Big Ten, Sicko's Game of the Week, Penn State 27, Michigan 17. With apologies to Utah State and New Mexico, go Aggies. Congrats on your first win. Uh, the 0-5 Nittany Lions, no longer. They have a victory. Uh, Got to fire Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, or get him into the NFL or something. Uh, Penn State does not have to fire James Franklin. We've said that. Feeling pretty good about it. Uh Anything informative here about anybody other than that Michigan is as bad as we thought or worse? Penn State still sort of out-talented them, which means nature is truly healing. Michigan State 29, Northwestern 20. Oh, boy. Um, Okay, this was it. Godfrey, you called it. Can I, I mean, yeah, I'm just going to do this real fast. I called it. Uh, I said, wouldn't it be funny if they beat the brakes off their asses or something like that? I don't know what the clip was from earlier in this week. I'm just, th- by the way, this this was no foresight or acumen. I just thought it would be funny if, and I didn't buy Northwestern as some sort of complete division contending team in the Big Ten. Well, they're still going to win the division. Fucking ridiculous. But yeah. 
Well, yeah, but it's sure. that division. Um, wouldn't it be funny, hypothetically, if for a while, while Michigan State tries this SEC blueprint, which is who knows if that's going to work, what if they just were kind of a hot mess, but they just occasionally organized into a death weapon to beat elitist fan bases? Because they've they they basically whomped Northwestern for most of this game. Oh, and by the way, guys, I don't know if you knew this, they beat mm. Michigan this year. Michigan State did. So I'm just saying, what if what if they're like a, a spiteful version of the Pitt Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, I remember it fondly. Uh, for the second time in history, Northwestern has had an insane lateral touchdown play at the very end of the game that didn't matter, potentially ruin somebody's over. I don't know if anybody got that number at 43. I got it at 41 and a half. It had already been blown by a late field goal uh later in the game or I guess in the fourth quarter of that game uh but if you got it at 43 if it was available at 43 you bought it up at 43 the uh the bad beat at the end of that game oh was terrible Northwestern tough. trying to lateral up the field and it goes into their own end zone and gets fallen on for a touchdown uh no fun Iowa 26 Nebraska 20 uh well you know well. you know what you know, I, I don't. I don't have much to say. Uh, Had a good run, Nebraska. You're you're very close to being slightly below average in the Big Ten West. Uh, so within a few years, you could maybe be average in the Big Ten West. Uh, Indiana beats Maryland. My school, twenty-seven eleven. I just want to say this: I do not feel any shame as a Maryland alum in going and losing to a Big Ten East heavyweight like Indiana. Hopefully, we can play a team like Michigan more at our level and beat them next week. Uh, with more of a, a talent, uh, m- more equal talent, maybe we could contend with someone like Michigan. Elsewhere, I uh, want to quickly note Coastal Carolina beats Texas State 49-14. Coastal is a damn wrecking ball. One of the best teams, if not the best, in Undefeated. Sunday history. Oregon State beat Oregon 41-38. Pac-12 was already out of the playoff race because Oregon was ranked 15th. But now they are super duper out. Hey, great win for Jonathan Smith, huh? Like, I think we got, we got to feel yeah, good about. I want to let's kick this or let's kick this to Wednesday because I want to spend some time talking about why you make a hire that's a fit and not a name. Because this was a hire that was a fit and not a name, and I understand again circumstantial 2020. I feel like a broken record, but what Jonathan Smith is doing on a snail's pace at Oregon State is the way you do yeah, it. Yeah, it's I mean clearly one of the best hires of the last couple of years. Uh, Jonathan Smith's old team, the University of Washington Huskies. We're down 21 nothing at halftime to Utah, and then were you guys still awake to see what happened? Yeah, because I sort of checked out on that game and rewatched North Carolina-Notre Dame through the second half of this, and I looked up, and Beth Moens kept on saying that Washington is sort of coming back and, and chugging along, and here they sit, 24-21, yep. uh, with a victory. I just I, I saw the, like, the AP report this morning and was just laughing. I will say this. I would play for Jimmy Lake, and I would play hard for Jimmy Lake. He's 3-0. and Oh, he bring he brings that yeah. juice, man. He bring he is he is. Uh, I think that Utah is just. I mean, it, it's. I'm I'm gonna just chalk that up to a weird year. They're not themselves. They lost in the way that Utah would normally beat a team, which is but on they, a they, a plodding 12 play, 88 yard touchdown drive, ending with a back breaking intermediate TD in the last minute. Like they did this to USC a couple of years ago, almost verbatim. Uh, Stanford beat Cal. Nothing really great to report there on anybody's part. Hawaii uh, beats Nevada. Nevada no longer undefeated. I really cannot peg Hawaii, uh, partially because they're never on TV or streaming, but I just can't figure them out. The game maybe of the day in terms of exciting offense, Richard, 
Buffalo 70, Kent State 41, Jarrett Patterson, eight rushing touchdowns. That ties Howard Griffith's FBS record, 409 rushing yards. Would have would have passed or at least equaled Samahe Pirine's 427 if Lance Leipold had given him the ball for the entirety of their last drive, but he didn't. He gave, he pulled him. He gave the other guy who himself was like a 1,000-yard rusher, Marks, carries. Uh, and, oh, my God, I, I, Kent State is – also, Kent State is kind of fun. They're diet Ole Miss – Great game to watch if you like offense. Uh, yeah, I don't think Lance Leipold knew the situation. That's incumbent on the SID. Someone's got to get on the phone, man. Um, this was a clinic of, A, how offensive linemen block in the run game, but also, B, how non-offensive linemen block in the run game. You, I mean, that's, that's nine people absent the quarterback and Patterson himself moving as one and blocking their asses off, particularly that H-back. Quite fun. ECU 52, SMU 38. It was 45 to fucking 7 at halftime. (laughs) I I don't really know. I have have no clue. ECU's quarterback, Holton Aylers, was balling. But, like, SMU gave up touchdowns on six straight drives to start the game. This is going to be one of those um, box scores they use to scare the shit out of assistant coaches and players when they're talking about don't let your don't take your foot off the gas coming out after at the end of the half or the beginning of the second half. Like you, you hear that a lot about like why did you know why didn't you <laughs> slow it down? This a is scared why. straight box Honestly, score. This will be used as a they bring it into they bring it into elementary yeah. schools and say this could be you. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Don't smoke UTSA, meth. Hey, this we'll talk, we got to kick this one maybe to the midweek too. UTSA crushed North Texas forty nine seventeen. Buddy, I'm so yeah, fascinated. I am too. I, am too. I was actually feeling some, some yeah. feedback from people who know better than me about this, about the dynamics in, in that state uh, on Twitter. We're going to talk about this because uh, this is a reorientation of the balance of power in that state and conference. Uh, oh, another Mac result that I meant to touch on just very quickly. In the G5 in that state and yeah. conference. And, yeah, G5. Clear. Yes, exactly. Um, Ohio beat Bowling Green 52-10. We're going to end on some sicko shit here and just talk about what I believe to be the two worst teams in FBS. Clearly, Remember, you can play your way into the rundown by being really bad. Bowling Green was down 42-10 to in the last minute of the first half, so, so things are very bad. Uh, you know, Things are already bad. They have a fumble get scooped and scored to go down 49-10, so they've given up 49 points in half. That gets overturned because the QB's arm was moving forward. Then, like, a play or two later, QB throws a pick that gets returned all the way to inside the 10, so they did wind up allowing another field goal to be down 45-10 at half. Ohio would have won this game 75-10 to if they'd chosen to. Uh, shout out Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder going, going tremendously. Uh, this would be the worst team in FBS if not for UMass, which lost 45, nothing, uh, to future, whatever head coach Hugh freeze, who continues to passionately audition for other jobs. Is Liberty cool with that? I don't know. Um, UMass collected. They love a lot of people in the room watching. (laughs) UMass collected $0 in guarantee money and also zero points from Liberty. Uh, they combined this year to make just over 200 grand in guarantees to go 0 and 4 and get outscored 116 to 12. This after, as we talked about before on the show, opening up a 168 million dollar budget hole for the broader university. College football can be a great thing. Absolute trash yep. decision. College just football can be a decision. good thing in a lot of places. Brings a lot of joy. Might help the university be better in some way or make more money or bring in more people. That is not happening at UMass. Uh, good for their players, I guess, if they got to have any fun at all. I hope they did. I can't really see how it could be that fun. But uh, this was not a useful exercise, and it should not have happened. <laughs> the 2020 UMass season should not have happened. There, I mean, it just shouldn't have happened. Um, I'm sorry. I'm um, 
dying about the Liberty Corp. Um, okay. Good week. Um, make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. Um, this is a thing to tell you that this sport needs rivalry week because if it didn't have rivalry week, like 110 teams don't have shit to play for at the end of November. Anyway, Godfrey, where can the people find you? At 38Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter, BannerSociety.com. Never, ever let you or your friends you mask. Alex. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Twitter.com slash Alex underscore Kirshner. And Richard. You can find me on Twitter at RJ underscore rights. Uh, I'm going to go bet on Saints Broncos.